When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm thrilled to share with you a conversation I had recently with Leanne Davey. She's the author of the new book, The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. And if we're all honest with ourselves and each other, we could admit that in any organization or business that we've been in, in any role, conflict has happened. And it's never, well, I won't say never, but it's often not fun. I think for some people, it is fun. They like to have conflict, but I am not one of them. You may not be either, but that doesn't mean conflict is a bad thing. In fact, Leanne is saying that conflict can be healthy for an organization. Or, better yet, she makes the case for conflict, that having a healthy conflict culture is a good thing. In this conversation, we talk about why we are so averse to to conflict, why we avoid it, and how we can, instead of avoiding it, create a healthy culture. And this can apply for self-awareness, whether you're having a conflict with your own self, having a conflict with teammates or people above you, below you, or even at home. I think everybody can get something out of this conversation. So I'll get out of the way and just say, enjoy this conversation with Leanne Davey. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Leanne Davey. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. So this is an interesting concept. We've done a lot of conversations recently, uh, I, I recently this year, but also some last year in regards to organizations, because let's face it, productivity, <laughs> what, uh, what a bigger squash or just... Uh, you know, under the thumb that squelches your productivity can an organization be, right? Like we've all been in an organization where we just feel like we can't get anything done. And <laughs> especially and that's the worst. I know, right? <laughs> right. And it's so, so obviously it's a great topic for me to mine in all these different angles. We've not actually come at this topic in particular when it comes to conflict in the workplace or in an organization before. So you'll be the first one addressing that. And I'm really glad to have you. Oh, I'm really glad to be here because if you haven't talked conflict, you, you've missed, uh, you know, many, many hours of most people's weeks. Right. I mean, <laughs> how, how much of a productivity drain can conflict be, you know, and, and here's the thing. What I just said almost gives away that most people think that conflict is bad. Oh no, right. conflict. That's going to keep me from getting stuff done. When in fact, I would argue, and I think you would too, that conflict can be productive. Yeah, I would say what's actually the productivity drain, which may surprise your listeners, is avoiding conflict. Ooh. So there are conflicts that we need to have. Uh, because the business throws them at us, because working in a team with other people creates them, because our own needs not being met uh, creates conflicts. So uh, there are conflicts coming all the time. The productivity killer is leaving those conflicts unresolved. So it's it's not conflict per se is a is a productivity killer. It's the fact that we try to avoid the conflict. And therefore we end up in what I call conflict debt. So mm. all these things that if we're going to move forward and create a list of priorities, if we're going to assign work, make a trade-off between two different things we could do, uh, all of those things require us to have a conflict. And if we avoid it, we get into this conflict debt and the interest builds. And that's where not only our productivity suffers, but our trust erodes among individuals and our uh, stress levels soar. 
So I want to get back to conflict debt in just a second because I have some thoughts on that. But I want to state right up front, the, the name of your new book is called The Good Fight. Use productive conflict to get your team and organization back on track. And I think that's the key right there, right, is that often we either, like you said, with conflict debt, we either uh, let it snowball into this elephant in the room that everybody becomes passive aggressive about and dwells on and thinks of, oh, yeah, well, if he says that or if he does this, then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to. And you're having conversations in your head and so is everybody else, you know, <laughs> like like relationships, because that's what really conflict is. It's the friction between relationships, no matter what kind of relationships it is, as well as like maybe differences of expectation. So I'm going to take that and use that as the definition of unhealthy conflict. So the word friction is one of my favorite words Mm -hmm. to describe unhealthy conflict, because that's what wears us down, whether it be in a personal relationship, in a relationship at work. So conflict in general is really the tension between um, opposing needs, wishes, demands, et cetera, et cetera. And when it's done well, that tension can make things bigger and better. It's a good thing. Um, when it's done poorly, that's where we get it to be uh, friction. And and then it's something that wears us all out. <laughs> it's You know what friction does to an engine or anything else, right? It's really bad for it. So if we can think of conflict more generically as just tension between opposing needs demands, wishes, whatever, um, then we can see that in this whole constellation of conflict, there can be some really constructive ones, the ones that move our business forward, make our relationship stronger, and some that can be really destructive and can wear us down. Well, and I use the word friction because, again, that's where most people, when they think of those opposing let's just say forces or viewpoints or whatever, they see that when they come to head, uh, you know, in the quote conflict in, in the way that they would use that word, um, that it's going to rub up against each other and that it's going to wear on things. Whereas like in a, in a, uh, I mean, this is way too, uh, automatic or, uh, mechanical of a, of a, um, metaphor, but I think of in an organization, I think of, I personally think of like gears and everybody, yes. you know, where's yep. your place? You're a gear. You then fit with this interlocking other person or other people. And it's like the inside of a big old clock, like Big Ben or something. And they yep. all kind of turn and move and it's cohesion and it works together. But when friction comes, it's like, oh no, I want to go over here. Well, I want to do this. And that's again, because I'm coming from like, most people, this idea that conflict is bad no matter what. So how do you, how do you define, or let me, let me ask a better question. The word conflict is so just, it's a loaded word for people. So how do you kind of disarm people and allow them to maybe start using that word in a more positive light? Yeah, I get a lot of pushback on on even using the word at all. You know, I get people who say, you know, like, couldn't we just call it debate? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm one of those uh, kind of edgy people who says, look, if we can't even learn to say the word, we probably can't do the thing. So let's just practice saying the word. Um, so it's really a matter of helping people understand what some examples of conflict are. Probably the most common example of conflict and a great fit for beyond the to-do list is just creating a to-do list, right? So understanding what uh, activities take priority over what activities. That's the conflict that most of us face six times a day at work, whether we're frontline folks. So, you know, if you're working in a retail store and there's a a bunch of clothes that need to be folded and there's a customer browsing, what do I do? Do I go fold the clothes or do I go over and say hello to the customer? Um, Or you're the CEO of a major organization that's got to make a really tough call about which business to exit and which to double down on. So we see it at, at all levels of the organization, but there's this major conflict between do I do A or B? Um, And so helping people understand that this is a conflict. Uh, A conflict doesn't have to mean people screaming and other people crying and, you know, there need to be grenades. So a lot of it is starting to pull out real examples that people face in their day. 
And as soon as we get talking about the examples, people can begin to relate to, oh, okay, I get it. I get these things are in conflict with one another. I get that um, until we make a call about which way we're going, we're going to be much less effective. It suddenly occurred to me as you were giving those examples, I had like one or two others that, you know, common phraseology where we use the word conflict, but it's not as loaded a word like conflict of interest where. Yes. To, Great example. You know, to, in other words, making it more factual, like uh, conflict of priority or conflicting reports. It's yep. not that, you know, reports can't fight each other. It's just facts. Yeah, exactly. They're, you know, the, yeah. those reports, they're just facts. They right. they just disagree, and that's okay, because then we have to figure out where the conflict lies between the facts. Yep, exactly, exactly. And um, so when I get further into the work, then I help people to understand that in the ideal state, uh, teams are built for the purpose of uh, creating a forum for conflict. So if you think about how most of our manufacturing used to work or various parts, we would have sort of research and development and they would do a bunch of work and come up with a whiz bang idea that would get then passed to uh, manufacturing. It would then get passed to marketing and then to sales and it would get to sales and sales would be like, I don't know if anybody mentioned this, but nobody wants to buy this thing. (laughs) And at some point we realized that we should move to an approach where we actually created a team of people who weren't like-minded. So all the best, uh, you know, R&D folks, then throwing it over a fence to all the best manufacturing folks. But instead, we should take one of each and have them involved from the very beginning. And and thus started the use of a team uh, as a forum for conflict to be more efficient and be more effective. Let's actually learn if there's customer demand before we engineer this thing, before we manufacture a warehouse full of it. So uh, one of the other important things that I'm doing is actually mapping out for people what those conflicts and tensions on a team are supposed to be. So instead of thinking of conflict as antithetical to good teamwork, realizing that it's actually the purpose of teamwork. So as we say, I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley today as we're recording this, as we say here, uh, uh, conflict is a feature, not a bug. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond. At Evernorth health services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. 
complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So you're spinning it in conflict is not this thing that is supposed to, uh, that, that it's a symptom of a, of a problem. It's actually a feature. It's what we are actually yeah. here to do, which is... It's the point. Yeah, I mean, to use <laughs> yeah. the word that others were kind of suggesting to you, it's let's come together and debate. You know, yeah. the but but really, it's just it's everybody getting on the same page. It's everybody aligning trust. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, alignment, ultimate alignment is the goal and trust is required to get there. So without trust, uh, people tend not to be candid. So they'll be thinking a few things and not actually sharing them. They tend not to be inclusive if there isn't trust. So you find out later that something's been going on. So there are a variety of problems that happen that don't allow you to ultimately get aligned if there isn't trust in the first place. So in the book, you've got a lot of research here and, you know, we've already kind of danced around it a little bit here, but this idea that people just feel like conflict is a bad thing, no matter what, that there's this issue of conflict debt. And I see the conflict debt, uh, you know, springing up from lack of dealing with conflict in the right way. But really, all of this comes down to a lot of what your work is about, which is basically helping people move past their conflict aversion or avoidance. (laughs) Why do we, why are we so aversion? Why are we so aversion? Why are we so averse? Or why do we try so hard to avoid conflict if it's a good thing? Because we've been taught that it's not a good thing uh, by people who don't know better. So, so first of all, even before we're taught anything, we're born conflict averse when it comes to dealing with people in our in-group. And that comes from tens of thousands of years of evolution where the human animal's major advantage was our ability to collaborate and cooperate. And that's what gave us an advantage over other animals that were going to eat us. Um, so we're, we're wired in the first place that people who we perceive as in our tribe, we're wired to get along with them. So from the get-go, if somebody's on your team, if you perceive them as your friend, uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to have conflict with them. Then, you know, that's day one on the earth. Uh, if, if we go from there, uh, you got grandma telling you, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And, you know, you learn that it's, it's not nice to have conflict and you've got, you know, people telling you that if there's a, you know, a fight going on in the playground, mind your own business, stay out of it. And, and then we learn that if people are, you know, having a pitched battle on the team that we just sort of let let them have at it and we don't get engaged. Um, we learn that when we make people upset or when people get upset that it's our fault. So as a kid, if you ever said something that made another kid cry, it tended to be you who got in trouble while they were crying. So you learn, oh, I'm not supposed to make people emotional. So there's all these things that we learn as kids that by the time we get to the workforce, we've learned that conflict isn't polite, it isn't nice. And if you're from my 50% of the population, it sure as heck isn't ladylike. (laughs) So there's uh, a lot that we've been taught and socialized that makes us conflict averse uh, by the time we get to the workforce. So it's a major, major problem. Well, and all of those examples come up as don't rock the boat. Let's just get along. It's not worth the fight. Uh, there's another loaded word right there, fight, uh, fight, that goes along with conflict. Um, I, how do we then, or how do you then, when you enter into an organization, how do you start to ease people's minds and get them more into a mindset of being able to accept uh, starting to adopt a healthy conflict in their culture? So let's take two of the ones I just mentioned, right? So if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So The example that everyone resonates with, which is a very silly but a good starter example, is, you know, someone uh, walks out of the bathroom with toilet paper tucked into the back of their pants, right? Um, Do you tell them? And uh, what we find is that most people think that's embarrassing. Uh, They they just kind (laughs) of let the person walk by. Like It wouldn't be nice to embarrass them by telling them that they have toilet paper stuck either on their shoe or coming out the back of their pants. Um, And while I can agree that it might not be nice, it might be a couple nanoseconds of of not a nice feeling, it certainly would be kind 
to tell this person this before they walk past another hundred people. So uh, one of the things that we start with is replacing the word nice, which is a bit of a short term way of thinking. Uh, and we replace it with the word kind. Uh, if, if you were a kind person, <laughs> what would you do? So people can start to grab hold of that idea, the difference between being kind in the long run. And so the example in this case might be you've just watched your peer practice or rehearse a presentation that's a pretty high stakes presentation. And it was pretty weak in the middle. It wasn't so great. And uh, you can either go like, yeah, it was good. And, you know, give them the kind of lame, be nice to them. Or you can be kind, which is to say, I loved how you started. I think you came out of the gates really strong. In the middle, you had less facts and less detail than you'd had at the beginning or less, you, you moved all to facts and less stories. And, and I felt it was less compelling in the middle. You know, is there a way to add a story in the middle section? So, uh, you know, it, in some ways you may decide it's not as nice to give them constructive feedback, but it's certainly kind to say, uh, I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable for a moment to help you get better. Uh, I want you to go kill it in that presentation tomorrow. So, so that's kind. So that's, that's one idea that's helpful. The second one is on that one about not making, uh, you, you know, not getting involved in mind your own business, that kind of stuff, not getting involved in someone else's problem. And these days, one, one really easy way to talk about that is to say, you know, how much of the predatory behavior exposed by the Me Too movement wouldn't have happened if a few less people had minded their own business, right? There were people who were witnesses to all of this kind of, of uncomfortable behavior. There are witnesses who see people being lecherous at office parties and things like that. And they kind of, they walk away instead of kind of coming over, standing right beside that person and, and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stay here and, and protect this person. Um, so there's big ideas, but then there's small ideas in the mind your own business idea, which is that if two people are in a, in a fight, in a meeting, they get so emotional, they get so ingrained in it, that it becomes a bit of a tug of war just going back and forth. And if you as a, as a neutral third party simply get involved in the conversation to say, hey, what about this? Or, um, you know, I'm hearing you say this, uh, and, and yet I don't think that's what you're hearing. You know, you can kind of get involved. Turns out you've got a much greater likelihood of resolving that conflict than the two people who are emotionally invested in it. So what I'm doing is taking all these little voices in our head that keep telling me to, you know, mind my own business or um, stay out of trouble. And we replace those voices with a constructive, positive mindset about conflict. Like, you know, if you can't be nice, be kind. <laughs> and, um, you know, don't mind your own business if you can contribute to a solution. We give them alternatives to some of these things that they've been socialized with that have made them conflict averse. So let's start with the last one. The whole idea of being nice and kind, it, it brought up the this particular word to me, which was tact. Yes. That it's point. about choosing the right words to use to still convey that uh, I am trying to help you again. This could all be misconstrued by whoever's receiving it. And we could go, okay. you know, yeah. we don't necessarily need to go into all of the different dynamics of, uh, proper interpersonal communication in the workplace or outside the workplace for that matter. But I just want to call attention to it that, that tact would be incredibly important here, as well as knowing that, you know, let's, let's say teammate instead of coworker, uh, and knowing um, because we've done different episodes on this show about self-awareness and different times, uh, different types of, uh, personality types. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the person, the, per to, so to go to your example of the person who just did the, um, the presentation and you're giving them feedback, it's all about entering into the mindset that how am I able to best tell the truth and give this person positive yet also constructive feedback, knowing who they are and how to best direct them with it based on who they are, as well as based on who I am. Yeah, just showing that you you care for them, right? So, yes, you care about the issue and the quality of the presentation, and you care how it lands with them. And demonstrating that and just taking a moment to think about how to say it. And it turns out 
for the most part, what people don't understand is that feedback really should be about you and not about them. So if I go back to the example we just used, uh, you know, in the middle part of the presentation, you switch from using stories that you'd used at the outset to data. Um, that's not new information to them. They know that the beginning had more stories and the middle had more data. That's objectively true. Um, but then if you say, so I kind of got less interested. Uh, you know, you lost me a little bit in the middle. Well, that's not feedback about them. That's feedback about you. I find it more compelling. I stay more engaged when you're telling stories rather than giving data. So the other thing to realize is when done well, great feedback gives them new information, not about themselves. It gives them new information about the impact of their behavior on other people. So it's much easier for somebody to receive a message that gives them new information about someone else than it is to get feedback where people try and tell them what they're thinking or what they're feeling or who they are. That's offensive feedback. That's where we get into that unhealthy fight and we get defensiveness and, and resistance. If you can give feedback tactfully, as you're saying, as you can give it skillfully, what you're doing is you're objectively describing their behavior, but giving them some new insight about how that behavior impacts on you. Yeah. Well, and going, so, okay, going back to, it's such a, going back to the, uh, the toilet paper issue when yes, the person's yeah. coming out of the bathroom. It's such a trivial, you know, it's it's a it's a minor thing, not that big of a deal. However, it could be loaded where it's like again, you were like, well, somebody's wrestling with should they say something or not, and it, and, and in that instance, I kept thinking, well, the short term versus the long term um, impact of it for yes. for not only the person with the toilet paper on their shoe, but also the person who does or doesn't say anything. Um, yep. Because, you know, if they go walking, if if no one, I mean, this is kind of almost a, a metaphorical or, uh, you know, vi and or visual example of conflict debt, where if that person, if no one, if no one says anything all the rest of the day and they go around all day walking with this toilet paper on their shoe and it starts to become this, yeah, that's just the person who does that kind of a, you know, stereotype, that's mm -hmm. bad for that person. But mm -hmm. then also all these other people start to get into Oh, we just don't, we don't call attention to that. They should know. And it starts to, uh, create this weird, like, I don't know, dynamic in the organization. This is such a weird example, but it's such a small thing for someone to enter. It's, it's like a moment of maybe not even pain, but I'm using that example and that word. Mm -hmm. uh, um, it's a momentary pain for a much longer, like, Hey, you just gotta, Hey, you got that on your shoe. Oh, okay. Thanks. Great. That wasn't so hard, but it's one of those things where, again, liked conflict debt, it snowballs and becomes a bigger issue than it ever really was. Exactly. Well, because, you know, you get to this, we go back to this issue of trust, right? If your colleagues will let you walk around all day with toilet paper stuck on your shoe, can you trust them when something really important, mm. right? When you're kind of blowing it with the boss or, or whatever else, can you trust them? Do they have your back? And if you can't trust them on something that minor, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good indicator that, you know, how are they ever going to tell me something uncomfortable that I really need to hear on, on something more important or more substantive? It just, it, it erodes your trust. It just makes you never feel like your team is kind of rock solid in there for you. And, and as soon as you erode that trust, then we get all sorts of self-protective behavior, uh, which gets a bit like, watching an episode of Survivor. It's it's not pretty. So this issue of trust actually kind of goes a whole bunch of different places. So let's talk about that for a second. I mean, how would you suggest that, you know, maybe a in a place that has started to understand, okay, yes, uh, we do need to start to figure out how to have a healthy conflict culture and trusting each other is part of that. How do we start doing that? The best way turns out to be doing a better job of listening to one another. And that's, uh, I was with a team last week and there were some trust issues and they got talking about trust and, and where they didn't trust one another. But as the conversation went on, it was so clear to me that they weren't listening. So a real example, um, big, big, big business. And one of the people who uh, leads the big operations and manufacturing section was talking to the CFO, the head of finance. And this conversation was going on about, I don't, trust and my team doesn't trust your team. And an example came out of 
look, you know, your finance policies change um, without us knowing. So we do all this work and we submit it. And then, you know, after the fact, you say, no, that's not how to do it. You have to go back and do it differently. So my guys don't trust your guys anymore. And of course, what the person's really saying is, and I don't trust you. (laughs) But it's easier to say, my guys don't trust your guys. Um, And so the person's kind of saying this, but not giving any examples, not making it concrete. It's just very much judgment. And and so the CFO is getting more and more defensive. And he's saying, look, you don't back me up. You don't tell your guys that my policies are non-negotiable and, and you let them just ignore my team. And, you know, so we're going back and forth and they aren't actually listening to one another. They're standing far apart, yelling their truth at each other. And these two truths are, are you know, both important. Um, so when we finally got to this point of saying, look, you're not actually fighting because there's not one topic that you're fighting about. There are two truths in this situation. The first truth, we need to have clear, predictable, (laughs) reliable, consistent finance policies. That's a truth. There's a second truth. Finance needs to be respected. The policies need to be adhered to and treated as non-negotiable and supported by all leaders. There's no conflict there. But the way they were talking and getting heated and getting upset made it seem like there was a conflict. But instead, what's often the case is that there's a lack of listening. Mm. There's a lack of understanding that I need you to solve for the predictability and consistency of finance policies. And I need you to solve for the respect and compliance with finance policies. There's no; Those two things are not incongruent. It is not impossible to do both of those things at the same time. In fact, it's it, probably doing one will make it easier to do the other and vice versa. So uh, it, it's just that's why they don't trust each other is because they've never taken the time to validate one another to say, OK, for you, this is about respect. This is about feeling like we've got your back. We're supporting your policies. And for the other guy to say, OK, and for you, this is about um, efficiency knowing clearly what you have to do beforehand. Okay, I get it. And so the 80% of the time when I get brought in to help resolve a conflict, it turns out there's no conflict at all. What there is is terrible listening, (laughs) (laughs) total mistrust, and, and an inability to actually figure out what the things that they need to solve for are and then to just methodically solve for each of them. So, okay, so let's pick the three finance policies that we need to now look at and say what's going to be the official way we move forward and to say, okay, and I'm going to actually meet with my team and do a reset on how we think about and talk about finance. Um, I'm going to share with them the three new things that we've all agreed on and, and, and tell them that I'm confident now that we've, we know what we're um, being asked to deliver and it should be all good. Okay, good. Let's keep going. Right. So, so trust for the most part is, is just a complete breakdown of communication and, and the vast majority of fights in, in organizations, there is no true conflict there at all. It's that they haven't um, been skilled at figuring out the different things, the different motives, the different truths that you have to solve for. So would it be, we used this word earlier, but would this be an instance where you would describe that as friction without conflict? Yeah. Yeah, smoke and no fire. Yeah. Like, guys, what are, you, what are you doing? You're not actually fighting. Yeah, so tons of friction, right? Very emotional. Um, three or four rounds where I let them try to work it out themselves, and they were getting further apart instead of closer together. So, yes, lots and lots of friction, lots of unhappiness, no actual substantive conflict at the heart of it. Interesting. So then uh, <laughs> earlier you mentioned, I, I do want to keep going on this trust thing here Mm -hmm. or this trust motif uh Mm -hmm. that it's so important because then uh like you mentioned earlier a third party or a neutral person entering in uh without the ability to trust that person coming in uh that they've got the best interest of uh and and are impartial but the best interest of the two people or multiple people, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in the actual conflict, uh, without a trust in that person's well-meaning 
ness, if that's even a word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that it is now. Yeah, it is now. But it, without trust in that person, they could come in and be like, "Well, why are you getting involved?" Absolutely. Um, and again, we go back to tact. If you're going to do that, if you're going to mm-hmm. be a third party, the absolute best way to do that is by posing questions as opposed to making statements, assertions, or trying to sort of yank the conversation away from the people who are, are the actual parties of the conversation. So you have to do it well. Um, so if you don't, if they don't know you, if they don't have a lot of reason to trust you, then you do have to tread very carefully particularly by using questions by, and and the other thing is if if what you're doing is, so in this case, if I'm the third party and I'm saying, Hmm, so what I'm hearing you say is that this particular policy, you thought it needed to look like this, you submitted it that way and you were asked to do it a different way. So if I validate the person by being very um, objective by only saying things that they said, uh, by being very clear, it doesn't take as much trust. If I was throwing on a whack of judgment, then, you know, if if they didn't trust me, that would be terrible and they'd be very defensive. But as as a third party, if you don't have a ton of trust, be very careful, be very objective, simply validate what people are saying. You can throw in a question. You could say something like, okay, what would, uh, what would be helpful in documenting that particular policy? What would you need? Um, so you can ask questions. There are things you can do when, when you don't have a tremendous amount of trust. But as you say, if, if the parties don't trust you, then it's going to be much, much harder to enter into the conversation and, and help them get to a, a positive resolution. <laughs> the the funny thing might be if they both don't trust you, that might actually bring them together <laughs> against a common enemy. <laughs> You're like, oh, That's glad true. I could help. <laughs> now I'm the bad guy. <laughs> here, I'll be the bad guy here. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, and, and here's where semantics comes in again, because you can be inquisitive without coming across as an inquisitor. Yes, absolutely. And that's super important. Um, it's, you know, one of the things we really encourage is for people to remove the word why from their vocabulary. When you come in with why, why did you do this? Why do you think that? Why is a very much an inquisitor's word. Um, and so we try and remove that. And inquisitive words are, you know, what process got you to this point? How are you thinking about this? You know, those kinds of things. So, yes, you absolutely can be inquisitive without feeling like an inquisitor. Uh, I I mean, is there a line here or is it I mean, is it basically circumstantial in terms of team members or other employees uh, entering in or intervening in uh, certain conflicts when they're not naturally part of it to begin with? So I write about this in The Good Fight. I talk about, you know, what are the questions you should ask yourself? So, uh, you know, one of the questions is when you're looking at this situation, you know, could asking some questions, could that open it up? Could it help it be better? Um, Can you describe something objectively that right now is being talked about subjectively and and with a lot of judgment? Um, Those sorts of things. Is this a situation where you can help get to the other side of it? If you can answer those questions positively, then I think for the most part, there's a great opportunity for you to jump in, ask some questions, just even take a little bit of the heat off of the conversation. If you're trying to do it for your own motives, if you're just trying to look smart, if you're trying to uh, assist one person over the other person, like if you're going to take sides, all of those are reasons to say, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut here. I could make things much worse instead of making them better. Uh, For some people, it's just not going to be in their personality to uh, enter into every situation. And so having kind of a a decision-making rubric for when they should or shouldn't would really be helpful for them. And I go back to the word kind again. Mm -hmm. You know, if two people are at each other's throats, would it be kind to, you know, instead of having a back and forth tug of war to add a third point and make it a triangle, would that be kind to uh, give somebody a chance to catch their breath and not feel persecuted? Um, So again, that's another way that the word kind can be really helpful. Would it be kind here if I, you know, help change up this conversation, if I asked a question that, um, you know, made it less 
frustrating, took away the friction a little bit, added a little curiosity to the situation. Um, it, those are kind things to do. So that's another thing for the person who fancies themselves a really good team player. Um, would it be more kind if I helped us change up this conversation or would it be better for me to keep my mouth shut? I know this is also potentially circumstantial as well, but do, do you think it's ever too late for a conflict? Like, okay, yes. people now yes. just need to be removed because they've gone down the path too far and they're not going to come to any kind of resolution. Absolutely. Sadly, <laughs> um, <laughs> there are people who can't trust again, right? So if you think about how we as animals have evolved it's good for us to have things in our brain that protect us. So if I, you know, once burned, twice shy, that kind of idea. So there are, there are situations where people just literally can't recover from um, a relationship having been soured. And what's interesting is uh, I talk in my second book, You First, about um, these three different roles that people play in, in a negative situation. You can be the wicked person. So you've said or done things that are terrible and destructive. You can be the wounded person, which is the person who's decided that those things have been done unto them and they feel the victim, the woe is me person, or you can be the witness. And it turns out that people think it's the wicked person who's going to need to be fired or leave the team. But it's much more common that it's the wounded person who cannot kind of get out from under this victim mentality. They can't see their own contribution to the problem. They can't see their own agency in solving the problem. And so uh, very commonly, things have gone past the point that you can, well, I shouldn't say very commonly. If, if you have the job I have, <laughs> very commonly, you're not called in until, until that's happening. But um, it does happen that the conflict gets to the point where one or more parties can't trust again and I and I use the word can't intentionally. Like I'm a big believer in we choose, you know, how we feel. And and if you're still at the point where you can choose to forgive someone and move on, you're okay. But I think we do literally get to the point with some people where they cannot trust again. Uh, that everything that comes from then on will go through this filter of mistrust. Um, they will be biased. And and in that case, no, you can't. Uh, you can't survive that. And there will be somebody who probably needs to move to a new role. What about, say, you've created a healthy conflict culture where yes. the, the conflicts are dealt with in a healthy way and say, say that, like in that example we were just talking about, like, OK, these people just need to be separated Yep. <laughs> or or re uh the you know they, they they are better suited to a different role and so then you've got a new person that comes in to an old role yep. uh they're new how do you get them uh up to speed on the new culture yeah so uh, i do a lot of work on defining so i have an exercise in the good fight that maps out what the productive tensions are supposed to be on a team so we would come right in and say okay, here's your role. So let's talk about the unique value we expect you to be adding. Let's talk about the stakeholders you're advocating for when you're at our table. Let's talk about the tension that we need you putting on our discussions and our decisions. And then we're going to share the same for each of the people sitting around the table. So you're in sales and uh, we're expecting you to push hard for the latest sexy awesome thing full of features that's going to be appealing to our customers. So keep doing that. But just know that Frank over here in operations, you know, we're counting on him to be making our business more efficient and more cost effective. And so he's constantly going to be trying to streamline things and having fewer products. And so just so you know, there's going to be tension between the two of you. And that's how we want it. Um, so we do this exercise that allows us to map out those tensions. And it's a great thing to do when you have a new member of the team, because you can just start them out understanding that this is the culture of the team. We believe in productive conflict. Here's your role. And we need you playing that role. Here are other people's roles. And then to go through a conversation about here's our ground rules for conflict. Um, you know, we maybe have three to five ground rules about what a good fight means in our team. 
And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of expectations we're going to have of you. And as the team leader, I'm going to give you some feedback about how that's going. And we'll talk about that regularly in our in our one-on-ones. So um, this nice thing about this exercise we do is it gives you a formal way of codifying the expectations of productive conflict. So a lot of teams um, get a huge benefit from that because then everybody has the language. They'll, they, well, you know, remember, I got to advocate for this stakeholder here. Or, here it comes. I'm, I'm, here's that moment where I'm going to tell you that adding that new product is way too inefficient and we can't have that many SKUs or so if you if you've set it up in advance, um, everybody's got the language to um, to have those conflicts productively and constructively. Well, that's great because it it intentionally establishes this line of communication, and it even almost gamifies it to a certain extent, where it's like, yeah. okay, you know, my role on this team is to do this, and their role on this team. By the way, we're in different departments, but we're all still the same team, yeah. and you know. Uh, my goal is to do this. I'm going to try and get it past you. Well, my goal is to do this because I'm, my goal is this. And, you know, and our priorities may, and our goals may be different, but ultimately are the same for the good of the yeah. company. Right. 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 So right. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's this almost, oh, you won this one, but I'll get the next one. Okay. Hey, let's go get a coffee together. Like yeah. camaraderie. Right. Right. And, and of course, you know, defining winning as winning for the whole, as yes. opposed to saying that, you know, sales could have, you know, 7,000 SKUs that they could take to customers, but if operations can't produce them, uh, they're not going to sell very many of them. So the, the ultimate win is to make the right call for the whole organization. Now, if you think about it, one of the biggest problems we have with this is all of our language and our metaphor about teamwork goes back to this idea of like rowing and rowers and we're in the same boat and we're pulling the same direction. So all of our language and even the pictures on our cheesy posters um, (laughs) make us think that if we're pulling in a different direction, then we're not a good team player. And so people who are conflict averse to begin with and by nature um, now have all this imagery that says, no, no, pull in the same direction because we're all in the same boat. So doing this exercise with the team is a great way of saying, you know, yeah, we're all in the same boat, but uh, boat's not a useful metaphor here. We're pulling in very different directions to kind of come to the best answer. And if sales and operations are pulling in the same direction, your business is going to you know, go bankrupt pretty quickly. Um, and if HR and quality and risk and finance aren't also pulling in different directions and putting tension on the discussion and the decision, then the decision won't be optimized for the for the company as a whole. So we got to, you know, sink the rowers and move to a more effective imagery that helps us understand, no, no, it's my obligation to this team to kind of put some tension on the discussion in a different direction, not the same direction. Okay, I have to say this. You said sink the rowers, and that made yeah, me think sorry. the boat was sinking. <laughs> you you meant to say, uh, I just it's because I have this mental picture. It's a thing I have with words. Anyway, yeah. it's, it, getting yeah. the rowers in sync is is uh, you know. Anyway, I, it see. works. I love the double. <laughs> yes. So you know, at some point, it's sync with a Y. But um, yeah. in terms of the metaphor and the posters, it's most definitely sync with an I. Like, let's get rid of those rowers. It's um. It, it's not a useful metaphor for most teams. It makes us think that that uh, friction, not friction, that conflict is a is a bug as opposed to it being a feature. So we got to get rid of that uh, as the as the metaphor. So sink s i n k down with you. Enough of you. Yes. Take, take down those posters. Um, I can because- see a, a slide in a presentation on this exactly. It's like, hey, let's get rid of this metaphor. Because it feels like we're sink, it's a sinking ship. Versus, yeah. let's get in sync. S Y N K. S Y N K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Oh, and here it, it, the difference is that letter Y instead of the I, and that Y could then branch out into being W H Y. Yeah, which we're also trying to get rid of at the same time. <laughs> We got this. We got the whole line of posters and yep, I think we do it. Oh gosh, there's so much more else we can talk about. But ultimately, this is a great book for people who are leaders, employees, whatever, in an organization that just feel like, you know what, we're in a rut. We don't deal with our conflict debt. And I would love to direct people to where they can find out more about what you do and how to grab the book. Any special place you'd like to send people? 
Yeah, the easiest is probably just my website, so leannedavey.com. So L-I-A-N-E-D-A-V-E-Y.com. And there is a tab there for the book. There's uh, all sorts, and there's this searchable database under the blog of 400 articles with tips and tools. So you can Google thing, Google, you can search in there things like trust or passive aggressive or uh, all of those sorts of topics. And there are hundreds of articles there with some tips and tools you can use to get your team to, uh, to change your team for the better. Awesome. Leanne, this has been great. I feel like I'm less conflict averse now, and I hope others are as well. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It was so great speaking with you, Eric. Well, that's another episode checked off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you had some helpful revelations about conflict in whatever organization or business you are part of. Even if you are a solopreneur, you can benefit from having a healthy conflict culture. Because let's face it, you're working with others anyway. You're working with customers you're working with vendors, you're you're often working with yourself or teammates, bosses, subordinates. Without handling conflict well, there's an incredible loss of productivity. If you enjoyed this conversation with Leanne Davy, I'd love for you to share this episode. So you can do that right there. Think of that one person that as you were listening to this, they kept coming up in your mind. And no, I don't mean that person that kept coming up that you were thinking, man, if only I could get them to learn how to deal with conflict better, my life would be a whole lot easier. Although, If you have the strength to do that, more power to you. But if you can think of that person that you know needs the help in whatever situation they're in when it comes to conflict, hit the share button on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on right now, or head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 282. There they will be able to listen and subscribe from whatever device they're using and find show notes and things mentioned in this episode. And with that, I'll give you back to the rest of your day and say thanks for listening and I'll see you next episode.